Section 9 of Swordsman of Lost Terra by Paul William Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. The Twilight Lander dropped his own weapon, seized the other haft in both hands, and wrenched. Grimly, the Ganastian hung on. Carey worked his way in closer. Suddenly, he released the shaft, almost fell against his enemy, and drew the Dark Lander's sword. The short blade flashed, and the sentry fell. The door was barred. He beat on it frantically, hearing the clatter of feet coming up the stairs, knowing that a thunderstorm of hurled weapons was on its way. Sathi, he cried, Sathi, it is Carey, let me in. The first soldiers appeared down at the end of the corridor. Carey threw himself against the door. It opened, and he plunged through and slammed down the bolt. Sathi stood there, and wonder was in her eyes. Oh, Carey, she breathed. Carey, you came. No time, he rasped. Where is the pipe of Kalorn? She fought for calmness. Magu has it, she said. His chambers are on the next floor, above these. The door banged and groaned as men threw their weight against it. Sathi took his hand and led him into the next room. A fire burned low in the hearth. I thought it out against the time you might come, she said. The only way out is up that chimney. It should take us to the roof, and thence we can go down again. Oh, well done, lass. With a sweep of the poker, Carrie scattered the logs and coals out on the carpet, while Sathi barred the door into the next room. Drawing a deep breath, the colorner went into the fireplace, braced feet and back against the sides of the flue, and began to climb up. Smoke swirled in the chimney. He gasped for breath, and his lungs seemed on fire. Night in here, utter dark and choking of fouled air. His heart roared, and his strength ebbed from him. Up and up and up, hitching yourself still further up. Carry, her voice came low, broken with coughing. Carry, I can't, I'm slipping. Hang on, he gasped. Here, reach up, my belt. He felt the dragging weight catch at him. There in the smoke thick and dark, and drew a grim breath and edged himself further. Up and up and up and out. He crawled from the chimney and fell to the roof, with the world reeling about him and a rushing of darkness in his head. His tormented lungs sucked the bitter air. He sobbed, and the tears washed the soot from his eyes. He stood up and helped Sathi to her feet. She leaned against him, shuddering with strain, and with the wind that cried up here under the flickering stars. He looked about, seeking a way down again. Yes, over there, a doorway opening on a small terrace, quickly now. They crawled over the slanting, ice-slippery roof, helping each other where they could, fighting a way to the battlement, until Carrie's grasping fingers closed on its edge, and he heaved both of them up onto it. Come on, he snapped. They'll be behind us any moment now. What to do, she murmured, what to do? Get the pipes, he growled, and the demon blood of Broina began to boil in him again.
Get the pipes and destroy them if we can do nothing else. They went through the door and down a narrow staircase and came to the fourth floor of the palace. Sathi looked up and down the long, empty hallway. I have been up here before, she said with a coolness that was good to hear. Let me see, yes, this way, I think, as they trotted down the hollow length of corridor, she said further. They treated me fairly well here, indeed with honor, though I was a prisoner. But, oh, Carrie, it was like sunlight to see you again. He stooped and kissed her briefly, wondering if he would ever have a chance to do it properly. Most likely not, but she would be a good companion on Hell Road. They came into a great antechamber. Carrie had a sword out, the only weapon left to him, but no one was in sight. All the royal guards must be out hunting him. He grinned wolfishly and stepped to the farther door. Carrie, Sadi huddled close against him. Carrie, do we dare? It may be death. It will be like that anyway, he said curtly and swung the door open. A great, richly furnished suite of chambers, dark and still, lay before him. He padded through the first, looking right and left like a questing animal, and into the next. Two men stood there, talking, Jonan and Manku. They saw him and froze, for he was a terrible sight, bloody, black with smoke, fiery, cold, and bitter blue in his eyes. He grinned, a white flash of teeth in his sooted face, and drew his sword and stalked forward. So you have come, said Manku quietly. I said Carrie, where is the pipe of Kalorn? Jonan thrust forward, drawing the sword at his belt. I will hold him, prince, he said. I will carve him into very bits for you. Carrie met his advance in a clash of steel. They circled, stiff-legged and wary, looking for an opening. There was death here. Sathi knew starkly that only one of those two would leave this room. Jonan lunged in, stabbing, and Carrie skipped back. The officer was better in handling these short swords than he who was used to the longer blades of the north. He brought his own weapon down sharply, deflecting the thrust. Jonan parried, and then it was bang and crash, thrust and leap and hack, with steel clamoring and sparking. The glaives hissed and screamed. The fighters breathed hoarsely, and there was murder in their eyes. Jonan ripped off his cloak with his free hand and flapped it in Kiri's face. The northerner hacked out, blinded, and Jonan whipped the cloth around to tangle his blade. Then he rushed in, stabbing. Kerry fell to one knee and took the thrust on his helmet, letting it glide off, reaching up, he got Jonan around the waist and pulled the man down on him. They rolled over, growling and biting and gouging. Jonan clung to his sword and Carrie to that wrist. They crashed into a wall and struggled there. Carrie got one leg around Jonan's waist and pulled himself up on the man's chest. He got a two-handed grasp on the enemy's sword arm, slipped the crook of one elbow around and broke the bone. Jonan screamed. Carrie reached over. He took the sword from his loosening fingers and buried it 
in Jonan's breast. He stood up then, trembling with fury, and looked at the pipes of Kalorn. It was almost as if Manku's expressionless face smiled. The Ganastian held the weapon cradled in his arms. The mouthpiece near his lips, he nodded. I got it to working, he said. In truth, it is a terrible thing. Who holds it might well hold the world some day. Carey stood waiting, the sword hanging limp in one hand. Yes, said Manku, I am going to play it. Carey started across the floor, and Manku blew. The sound roared forth, wild, cruel, seizing him and shaking him, ripping at nerve and sinew. Bone danced in his skull, and night shouted in his brain. He fell to the ground, feeling the horrible jerking of his muscles, seeing the world swim and blur before him. The pipes screamed, Good night, Carrie, good night, good night. It is the dirge of the world he is playing, the coronach of Kilorn. It is the end of all things scurling in your body. Sathy crept forth. She was behind the player. The hell tune did not strike her so deeply. But even as his senses blurred toward death, Carrie saw how she fought for every step, how the bronze lamp almost fell from her hand. Maku had forgotten her. He was playing doom, watching Carrie die and noting how the music worked. Sathi struck him from behind. He fell, dropping the pipes, and turned dazed eyes up to her. She struck him again and again. Then she fled over to Carrie and cradled his head in her arms and sobbed with the horror of it and with the need for haste. Oh, quickly, quickly, beloved, we have to flee. They will be here now. I hear them in the hallway. Come. Carrie sat up. His head was ringing and thumping. His muscles burned and weakness was like an iron hand on him. But there was that which had to be done, and it gave him strength from some forgotten wellspring. He rose on shaky legs and went over and picked up the bagpipe of the gods. No, he said. Carrie, we will not flee, he said. I have a song to play. She saw the cold, remote mask of his face. He was not caring now of the ready laugh and the reckless bravery and the wistful memories of a lost homestead. He had become something else with the pipe in his hands, something which stood stern and somber and apart from man. There seemed to be ghosts in the vast shadowy room, the blood of his fathers, who had been pipers of Kilorn, and he was the guardian now. She shrank against him for protection. There was a small charmed circle which the music did not enter, but it was a stranger she stood beside. Carefully, Carrie lifted the mouthpiece to his lips and blew. He felt the vibration tremble under his feet. The walls wavered before his eyes as unheard notes shivered the air. He himself heard no more than the barbarian screaming of the war music he had always known, but he saw death riding out. A troop of guardsmen burst through the door, halted, stared at the tall piper, and then howled in terror and pain. Carrie played. And as he played, Kalorn rose before him. 
He saw the reach of gray, wind-swept moors, light glimmering on high, cold tarns, birds winging in a sky of ribbon clouds, space and loneliness and freedom, a hard, open land of stern and bitter beauty, the rocks which had shaped his bones and the soil which had nourished his flesh. He stood by the great lake of sunset, storms swept in over it, rain and lightning the waves dashed themselves to angry death on a beach of grinding stones he strode forward the plain and the soldiers of ganath died before him the walls of the palace trembled hangings fell to the shuddering floor the building groaned as the demon music sought and found resonance he played them a song of the chase the long wild hunt over the heath breath gasping in hot lungs and blood shouting in the ears running drunk with wind after the prey that fled and soared he played them fire and comradeship and the little huts crouched low under the mighty sky and the walls cracked around him pillars trembled and broke the roof began to cave in, and everywhere they died about him. He played war, the skirl of pipes and the shout of men, clamor of metal, tramp off feet and hooves, and the fierce blink of light on weapons. He sang them up an army that rode over the rim of the world with swords of flame and arrows like rain, and the whole building tumbled to rubble, even as he walked out of it. Tenderly, dreamily, he played of Morna the Fair, Morna who had stood with him on the edge of the lake, where it is forever sunset, listening to the chuckle of small wavelets and looking west to the pyre of red and gold and dusky purple, the eyes and the lips and the hair of Morna, and what she and he had whispered to each other on that quiet shore. But there was death in that song. The ground began to shake under Ganath. There is but little strength in the lungs of one man, and yet when that strikes just the right notes, and those small pushes touch off something else far down in the depths of the earth, the world will tremble. The Darklanders rioted in a more than human fear, in the blind panic which the pipes sang to them. The gates were closed before him, but Carey played them down. Then he turned and faced the city, and played it a song of the wrath of the gods. He played them up rain and cold and scouring wind, glaciers marching from the north in a blind whirl of snow, lightning aflame in the heavens and cities ground to dust. He played them a world gone crazy, sundering continents and tidal waves marching over the shores and mountains flaming into a sky of rain and fire. He played them whirlwinds and dust storms and the relentless sleety blast from the north. He sang them ruin and death and the sun burning out to darkness. When he ceased and he and Sathi left the half-shattered city, none stirred to follow. None dared who were still alive. It seemed to the two of them 
as they struck out over the snowy plains that the volcano behind was beginning to grumble and throw its flames a little higher. He stood alone in the gardens of Rivan's palace, looking out over the city. Perhaps he thought of the hard journey back from the dark lands. Perhaps he thought of the triumphant day when they had sneaked back into the fastness and then gone out again, the piper of Kalorn and Red Bram, roaring in his wake to smash the siege and scatter the armies of Ganast and send the broken remnants fleeing homeward. Perhaps he thought of the future, who knew. Sathi approached him quietly, wondering what to say. He turned and smiled at her, the old merry smile she knew, but with something else behind it. He had been the war god of Kalorn, and that left its mark on a man. So it all turned out well, he said. Thanks to you, Carrie, she answered softly. Oh, not so well at that, he decided. There were too many good men who fell, too much laid waste. It will take a hundred years before all this misery is forgotten. But we reached what we strove for, she said. Rivan is safe. All the twilight lands are. You folk of Kalorn have the land you needed. Isn't that enough to achieve? I suppose so, Carrie stirred restlessly. I wonder how it stands in Kalorn now. And you still want to return? She tried to hold back the tears. This is a fair land, and you are great in it. All you people from the north. You would go back to that? Indeed, he said. All you say is true. We would be fools to return, he scowled. It may well be that in the time we yet have to wait, most of us will find life better here and decide to stay. But not I, Sathi. I am just that kind of fool. This land needs you, Carrie. I do. He tilted her chin, smiling half sorrowfully into her eyes. Best you forget, dear, he said. I will not stay here once the chance comes to return. She shook her head blindly, drew a deep breath, and said with a catch in her voice, Then stay as long as you can, Carrie. Do you really mean that? he asked slowly. She nodded. You are a fool too, he said, but a very lovely fool. He took her in his arms. Presently she laughed a little and said, not without hope, I'll have a while to change your mind, Carrie, and I'll try to do it. I'll try. End of section 9. Recording by Paul Harvey. End of Swordsman of Lost Terra by Paul William Anderson.